Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in New York football podcast here. On the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode, the NFL Draft Eve episode of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website. BLEAV.com. Like, download, subscribe, and rate. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod and at Tino Rodriguez. As I just mentioned, draft week is officially here with the NFL draft set to kick off on Thursday night. And I'm excited to have some sports back in our lives. Today's show is full of draft coverage as I give you guys my best bets for the NFL draft as well as some wild card plays that'll make you guys some money. We also have an AFC East roundtable with some of my Believe Podcast colleagues. We give you guys our takes on the draft, season predictions, and some hot takes on what to expect from each team this season. I'll also give you guys some of my last-minute thoughts leading into draft day. But let's get started by addressing the virtual NFL draft. And the virtual draft didn't get off to a hot start as teams had a mock draft to kind of walk through them, the virtual draft process, and just demonstrate how different this draft would be compared to the drafts in the past. And there was a reported technical error on the very first pick by the Bengals. You know, there was a big fuss about it initially, but although there's still expected to be hiccups on draft day, the error only costed them about a minute or two of a delay in time and was said to be the only issue when it's all said and done. So if a minor delay is going to be the hiccup, uh, I guess for the NFL, that's what they would have hoped. And especially for a walkthrough that went about as good as it could, uh, it'll still be interesting to watch as this, again, is going to be very different from anything we've seen before, uh, I think, aside from the hiccups. Just seeing it happen live over air. I was watching the WNBA draft for a little bit over air this past weekend. And, you know, seeing players get drafted with their families, not really going as crazy in the crowded rooms as they normally do. And just, you know, the hugs and the high fives and the celebrations and just being at the draft as well. Uh, you know, that'll all be gone, as well as the booze for Roger Goodell, which is actually uh, having a big campaign around it, trying to get people to uh, send in their booze to make sure you can still boo Goodell. So if you do some research on that, I'm sure you could find out where you could submit your booze. But uh, it'll definitely be a different feel for fans and teams. But we have sports to talk about, and for me, I'll... I'll surpass the celebration and the uh, camaraderie side of things as long as we could see some action actually happen. But now, aside from the actual draft, uh, coaches and GMs were having a bit of a meme battle of who could fit the most computer monitors on their desk for the draft. Uh, this started on the Giants side of things as a picture of Dave Gettleman 
with one computer and a gigantic binder in front of him surfaced on the internet. And naturally, Twitter had its way with it. I can't lie. I had to jump in as well. But it would then later be compared to the Chargers GM, Tom Telesco, who had five computer monitors on his desk, including TVs in the background, which is just nuts because what the heck are you going to do with five computers and multiple TVs? I mean, there's just, you can't watch all that. One of them's going to be in a delay. I assume you can just open up specific things for each, you know, computer. So I guess it doesn't slow everything down, but that's what tabs are for. So, uh, as if five computers weren't enough, uh, 49ers GM John Lynch's desk then came out and did him even better. He had seven monitors on his uh, on his desk. Like, there is only a certain amount of square footage on that desk, and you're taking up all of it with seven comu- uh, computer monitors. He's going to have to walk around and get up at some point. There is no need for seven on his desk, but so be it. They had seven, and Gettleman had one. And it leads into this quote because as everyone was pointing and making fun of Gettleman, uh, surprisingly, the Bills GM came to his defense. Bills GM Brandon Bean went on Barstool's part of my take and actually spoke highly of Gettleman. The quote reads, can't trust him. Dave's smart, man. He's throwing all the curveballs out there. He's actually pretty tech savvy. Don't let him fool you in all seriousness. Now, As a former employee of Dave Gettleman, I feel like he doesn't really owe him any favors necessarily. I'm sure he probably does. But the fact that he's speaking that way, and if you heard his tone of voice, um, he seemed to be pretty serious on a show in part of my take, which, you know, for any of you who've listened to it, is a very light and funny show. And it's not as if he was prompted to say anything nice about Gettleman, uh, I'm pretty sure they were talking about is the real swag, no swag in regards to Eli and whether Gettleman actually has swag or not. They were talking about how Gettleman wears flip-flops in the office and essentially just wasn't necessarily prompted. He just spoke well of Dave Gettleman, which I feel maybe it all it is all smoke screens. And it was ironic, too, and I felt the need to bring this up because he almost on cue was right in the headlines by then saying, after the part of my take interview, that the Giants had spent significant time looking into Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. And at the number four pick, not just in general, but with the number four pick, uh, they had expressed a lot of resources on him. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on Herbert. I don't think this whole thing uh, is going to bite. And I think maybe... Uh, that quote was then put out there and he was like, you know what, now it's time to definitely put a smoke screen out there. Let's put even more curveballs. And I had talked about it last week as some of the comments he was saying are just impossible to read. And I think this one is another one that there's no point in even trying to read it because this appears to be an obvious smoke screen as I think they're still hoping to try to trade back for assets as, you know, they've been rumored to, to have been shopping to trade back. So, I assume is just a smokescreen in itself to try to get teams behind them to bite and try to trade up. But, you know, there's a lot going on with the draft. It's been said that the media has no idea what's going on in this actual draft, and they've never been more wrong than now, which I'm hoping for because in a lot of these upcoming best bets I have, uh, 
I'm banking on the media being wrong a little bit. They've had Tua going two to five, and now reports are saying that Tua Tungavailoa might not go in the top 10 at all. So we'll see. But speaking of draft prospects, let's switch over to my best bets for the NFL draft this weekend. And I'm going to start with one that, to me, and I'm just feeling the vibe of the actual mocks and just where players are going to fall. And I think the Jets are going to be in a spot to draft the top receiver on their board if they want it. But I'm going to go with the Jets to draft an offensive lineman with their first pick at plus 100. We'll take that even money. I like that line a lot. Um, And I just think it's very likely that the Jets are going to be in a spot where either Becton or Thomas are going to be at 10, 11. It'll be interesting to see what the Browns do. I just have this feeling that you're going to see very offensive tackle heavy within the first 12 picks. Um, the, the Giants are very rumored to taking a tackle. You know the Cardinals want to take a tackle. If the Dolphins don't take Tua, they'll probably take a tackle. The Browns need one, uh, and as well as the Jets. So I think you can very well see Wills, Wirfs, Becton, and Thomas all fly off the board. If the Giants did draft Wills, you're going to have Simmons fall back, and someone's going to have to take Simmons. Where So if the Cardinals need a tackle, maybe they go with the best defensive player because their defense isn't great, and uh, the Jets end up in a best-case scenario where Andrew Thomas falls to their lap. So I, I do like the Jets to draft an offensive tackle um, with their first pick at plus 100 just because I think the odds on everything else are a little... Uh, you know, Fugazi, uh, you have more options in the fact that they can draft any offensive lineman and uh, you'll be in a good spot. So we'll go with the New York Jets uh, to draft an offensive lineman at plus 100. Then we have here Jedrick Wills, uh, the man who is getting all the buzz around him as the top lineman prospect in the draft. Uh, We're going to go Wills to be a top five pick at minus 125. And that's really because uh, the Giants are obviously tied to him. And if you wanted to bet on him for the Giants, your line's looking at about minus 155. So you also improve the line. And I like it, whereas uh, if the Giants do take Simmons, you're not crippled to that pick. And you have a shot at Wills then going to Miami as a tackle at the fifth pick, which, again, with all this Tua news, uh, is very likely. So you'll go Wills minus 125 as the top tackle prospect to go within the top five, which I think is just, uh, it makes sense. Uh, I do like Tristan Wirth still, but with all this hype around uh, Wills, I do think that's a safe bet and a a halfway decent line. Uh, We're then going to go, you know what, let's stay in the first round here. This is no particular order. I'm just going to start it this way just because it's closer. Let's stay in the top five, and I'm going to go with Jeff Okuda. Over the four and a half mark for the pick, uh, he is right now favored to go over uh, the four and a half mark of picks uh, at minus 134. And, you know, when I looked at Okuda's number there, uh, he is the only one who has not fluctuated. Obviously, Chase Young at two, at two Joe Burrow at one, but he has sto- uh, stood true at three as well, which I've, I found interesting because the Lions could go a lot of ways. They could trade back. Uh, there's so much that could go on with that number three pick. They could take Isaiah Simmons. Who knows? Uh, and 
I just think that Okuda sticking at three is the one odd man out here, and if he doesn't go to three, he's going to fall way later than five. So at least the Giants aren't going to take him at four. At least I don't think so. I wouldn't believe so. So with him only being slotted in with one option at three, uh, I like his over four and a half uh, at minus 134. So now let's switch from the top 10, and let's go over to some skills, guys. And I'm going to go to a guy who I've hyped up on this show uh, a few times, and I think he'll be a steal for a team, whoever gets him. He's actually starting to get a little bit of buzz around him again as we near the draft, but I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson over 21.5 as a pick at plus 150. Now, I'm not doing this because I think he should be a back-end first-round pick. I think if a team got him before the 20th overall pick, I think it makes sense. I think if the team needs a receiver, I think his evaluation's there. But the issue is there are three other receivers. As I just said, I think it's going to be very tackle-heavy. you got a team in the bucks within those first 20 picks who also need a tackle. Um, you're going to have defensive players drop. You're going to have some quarterbacks that are bouncing around. So with that said... Where's the room for the fourth or fifth receiver, depending on where you have Justin Jefferson? And I just think, although the teams on the back end there, even a team like the Eagles, and you just have talented teams that need receivers um, that could use Justin Jefferson, it's going to be later than 21 and a half for me. I I just see that happening. Plus, with the line at at plus 150, it's easily the best line I have in my best bets here, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I could easily see um, Jefferson kind of slip through the cracks and even a a team come back into the first round and trade for him. But either way, I have him knocking at the doorstep late in the first round there, um, potentially the 25 to 32 range. So we'll see where Justin Jefferson ends up. I I think whoever gets him is going to become an instant winner in this draft because... uh, Jefferson's a baller, he's a winner, and I think he's a really good prospect in just a loaded wide receiver class. But now let's uh, let's cap this off. I have a fifth best bet, and then after that, I got some honorable mentions, and I got some props I'm going to play, uh, especially for that Jets pick. I'm going to specify why that makes sense the most, but let me get my fifth pick in here, and it's going to be my guy, another guy I've talked about, someone I'm very high on, in this draft, but others aren't. We got running back Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. His line is set at 37 and a half, and I'm going to take the over at minus 125. Uh, I think this is just a numbers thing as well. You just talk about what he's got to go around and a half uh, in a draft that's going to be loaded with receivers and all these other guys. Plus, you have running backs in DeAndre Swift, uh, Cam Akers. You have J.K. Dobbins making noise as well. Some people view Taylor as the fourth running back in this class. I don't necessarily view him that way, but uh, you know people do. And I do think that tie to the Steelers late that people have mentioned uh, in the 40s range makes sense. I think the Steelers are at 49, so he'd be even close to the 50 range. Uh, but I think 37.5 might be a little too low uh, for that line, and obviously the over is favorited at minus 125. So again, although these are the bets, I'm not saying this is where he should go. I'm just saying this is the line I'm reading. And again, all these lines are courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, That's where you'll be able to find all these 
lines at least mirror it from what I said. I'm sure you could go to other sports books and they wouldn't be too different. I just don't know if the same bets would be offered. But nonetheless, uh, I'm not saying Taylor should be later than a second round pick. I'm just saying that early second probably isn't his range based on the amount of picks and the amount of projections, at least uh, from what I've seen and from the player potential and from the team needs. Just doesn't look like uh, four running backs are going to go flying off the shelves uh, right away. And similar boat for Justin Jefferson. It's just uh, a grouping thing. Maybe a team believes in him and takes a chance early. So we'll see. Who knows? But that's the bet I'm going to stick to. But let's get some honorable mentions here. Uh, Some handcuff props I like. And let's start with the Jets. And I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to sprinkle a little action. Just a little bit. On C.D. Lamb at plus 350. Same line for Jerry Judy as well, I believe. Um, That's for a specific pick for the Jets, who they take at 11. Um, But I wanted to note the interesting thing that I mentioned before about Andrew Thomas. If you wanted to specify, you can double down here. If you take the Jets to take an offensive lineman at plus 100, you have both Andrew Thomas and Makai Becton at plus 600. So... Positive odds on both. Obviously, that should scare you away. Maybe you think they are taking a receiver. Hence why I led with the CD Lamb prop. Um, I'll sprinkle a little bit on the receiver possibility just because it also has solid odds. And I think CD would be the first guy off over Judy. But then, you know, you can handcuff that bet if you like the lineman pick. I like the lineman pick. I'm probably going to put the money on the more realistic possibility. I see the Browns probably snagging Beckton away from uh, the Jets. So I'll go... The Jets to take Andrew Thomas at plus 600 uh, and really hedge that first bet, double down on it. And uh, I like that possibility. I really do. I'll be rooting for the Jets. Uh, Fade yourself. Don't be afraid to fade yourself sometimes. I think the Jets are going to get a receiver so much so that they're going to take alignment. I see that happening. I wanted the Giants to take Isaiah Simmons so bad that they're now minus 455 to take an offensive lineman. So uh, we'll we'll get to that note. But... uh, uh, so I like the Jets prop, and the the next bet we're going to go with here is Justin Herbert to be the number two quarterback taken off the board, and that's in lieu of the Tua Tungavailoa falling out of the top five pick news. So I'm going to go Justin Herbert to be the second quarterback drafted and minus 125. It's a very popular line on my bets, but I think it's a good play and I think it's worth that value, uh, especially because I don't see Jordan Love really hopping over Herbert. And if Tua drops, there's only one other guy who could potentially fill in that spot. And I think it would be Justin Herbert, especially when you hear the Giants are spending valuable assets in a you know, doing some research on him with the number four pick. So if a team who doesn't even need a quarterback's looking into him, I assume that would then mean he's probably the next guy off the board behind Burrow. So I like that at minus 125. Uh, But if you were wondering what Jordan Love's line would be, he's actually in a position to be a very profitable dart throw if uh, you have the inside scoop on him. Aside from Herbert and Tua with minus 125 and minus 110, Love is at plus 2,000, and if you just want to sprinkle on that money line, sprinkle a little bit, 5, 10 bucks, I mean, it's worth a gamble. We've seen crazier things happen on draft day. I don't think it's likely, but hey, if that's the route you wanted to go, uh, that's the line for you there available on DraftKings, and you know, 
worth a dart throw. That's the definition of a dart throw. But now let's move outside the quarterbacks. Actually, time out. Let's stay in the quarterbacks. And I have one more wild card here for you. And we have Jalen Hurts, who's favored to go in the second round at minus 155. I do like that spot for him. I think Hurts is another guy very under the radar, proven uh, proven winner. And I think uh, teams that are quarterback needy uh, will see that there is value in quarterbacks later in the draft. And there's, you know, you even see it with two and now. I, I think teams see that this is a profitable receiver tackle uh, interior draft even on the defensive side of the ball. And I think maybe they're going to let quarterbacks kind of float below the wayside. But with that note, although he's favored to go in the second round, I'm going to take him in the third. And the prop is Jalen Hurts to be a third-round pick, uh, plus 140. And I like the the plus 140 line. Again, these these are uh, honorable mention dart throws. Uh, I'll sprinkle a little bit here and there on each. Uh, Not on the best bets list, but I do like them. I do like Jalen Hurts to fall to the third. It just makes sense to me um, with that evaluation and just where everything else is going, especially if a guy like Tua drops. Uh, you could only imagine what else is going to happen. So uh, he's favorited for the second round, minus 155. I think that's very likely, especially when that's the lean. But uh, plus 140 is kind of worth that gamble. If you were uh, a Jalen Hurts guy, uh, I'd love to hear your take on it. But We'll, uh, we're going to go with Jalen Hurts plus 140. We have the Jets props on specific players. And we have the Justin Herbert as the second quarterback taken off the board as our honorable mention uh, prop bets. I'll also post all five of my best bets onto the NY Football Pod Twitter account, uh, especially right before the draft, so you guys can lock those in. But again, I hope I can make you guys some money. I hope I can make myself some money and... Uh, Add some excitement to our exciting weekend ahead for all all you football fans out there. And now I'm going to get you guys ready for my roundtable for the AFC East with my colleagues with the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Before I start that, I'm just going to make some notes on the NFL draft real quick. as This will be the last time I speak to you guys before all the pandemonium hits. Um, Two and not going five is the most recent news I talked about, but I went under the radar by saying the Giants line has jumped to minus 455 that they take an offensive lineman for all us Isaiah Simmons stands out there uh, it's a hard time for us we got to hold tough we got to hold strong here be hopeful uh, if we do take an offensive tackle it won't be the end of the world folks uh, but you know I am still a fan of Isaiah Simmons regardless of what team he goes to but we hope that it's the Giants of course uh, although that line uh, is not encouraging for anyone who believes that alongside me so um that line was very telling, as well as, you know, the Jets hearing offers for Jamal Adams again. I, I, and I know it wasn't official official. It's just circulating, as Joe Douglas, of course, always has an ear to hear an offer. And I know the Jets haven't paid Jamal Adams yet, so why not listen to a draft day offer? But they're getting into murky waters, the New York Jets. They're getting into murky waters. Uh, we'll see. I I guess keep your ear out and your eyes peeled if you see uh, the Jets tossing Jamal Adams' name around again uh, during draft day. But I think that trade is unlikely. Although if there was a time to do it, it might be the day of the draft. So that's a headline to keep an eye out for. But let us let me get you guys ready for this interview. It was an AFC East roundtable with uh, some of my colleagues here at the Believe Podcast Network. Our producer, Josh Fisher, put it together. 
Uh, really good interview. It was more of an open forum, essentially. Uh, we all had our give and take with the Bills, the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Jets. Uh, informative stuff. You hear some takes on each team's perspective and all around a good time. We'll be doing it again. Uh, we'll be doing it again soon and definitely during the season. So without a further ado, here it is, the AFC East Roundtable. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. And before we get into it, we want to remind you guys that we are brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag. They're doing a bunch of food contests you could bet on. They're doing the draft you can bet on, futures you could bet on, American Idol. You could bet on a boatload of stuff. So go to betonline.ag and use the code MYPOD100 to get your free welcome bonus once you sign up and deposit some money. So here we go. The podcast. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Chris Sharp, and I'm running the, with the believe in FSC football podcast and today I'll be representing the Miami Dolphins hey this is Sean uh, I'm repping the Buffalo Bills and uh I'm not sure of the title for my belief podcast so I don't know what you want me to say right now um, cool but I hope to be starting more soon exactly Sean's in the works we're working on the title it's going to be a good title I feel it coming and then Steve, All right, let's do it and I am Steven Tino Rodriguez, and I'm the host of the Believe in New York Football podcast, and I'm here for the Jets today. Awesome. You got the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, and I'm Joshua Fisher, one of the producers of the Believe Podcast Network, and I will be representing my New England Patriots. Crazy right. division, guys. This division has been the Patriots division for the past God knows how long, 20 years, but it looks like the tides can be turning. Good off-seasons all around. A lot to come for the Dolphins. Bills making noise. Jets making a lot of noise as well uh, in free agency. And then have a good draft pick. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What are some of your favorite things the Dolphins have done this off-season? Um, what are some moves you really liked? I really liked how the Dolphins kind of focus on defense and free agency. Because yeah. I think in the first round of this draft, there's a lot of good offensive talent. So adding Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson up front, uh, Kyle Van Noy as well from your, from your beloved Patriots. You know, added, brought, him, brought him over. And then Byron Jones, a corner, probably one of the biggest additions out there. So I really feel like the fact that the Dolphins focus on defense, getting veterans to help fill in some holes on defense, I think that's a really good improvement because the draft's pretty loaded. For what they might want to do on offense, it's, it suits them pretty well. So I think going defense heavy is probably the move. Mm-hmm. It's a loaded draft all around. It's one like we haven't seen in a long time. Kind of has reminiscence of uh, 2011 when that draft class was stocked, especially in the top 15. Sean, how about you, man? What do you love about the Buffalo Bills this offseason? 
got to go with Stefan Diggs, the trade. Yeah, they did give up a heavy price in the 22nd overall pick in this year's draft, but they needed a, a number one wide receiver. John Brown is better suited as a number two. Cole Beasley better suited as a three. That sures up their wide receiving core. So I really like the addition of Stefan Diggs. Josh Norman, A.J. Klein, they add depth defensively. Norman's mm. going to compete for a cornerback position, but they had a strong defense last year, the Buffalo Bills, under Sean McDermott. Norman knows the system, played for McDermott in Carolina when he was there with the Panthers. Yeah. So that's a good uh, addition as well. A.J. Klein's a good addition just to, to add depth to the linebacking core. They signed uh, Quinton Spain, re-signed him at guard. He had a great season, so that solidifies the offensive line for the Bills. Really, other than Stephon Diggs' uh, addition, they really just uh, added depth pieces with Norman, A.J. Klein, and re-signing uh, Quentin Spain at, at guard. And they're young as hell, too, man. Davius, Tremaine, Ed Oliver. Big draft picks, oh. hoping to pay big dividends. All right, man. The New York Jets. Steven, this is my father's team. He really messed up grooming me as a kid. I ended up rooting for his dad's team as a Patriot, now a Patriots fan. But my dad is a lowly Jets fan. Give me some hope. What did they do this offseason? Give me some positivity here. Well, so it's interesting. I think for Jet fans, it's more about who they kept and who they didn't keep. I think their biggest addition, uh, I think it's very easy to point at Connor McGovern. At yeah. center, really fills that hole, got younger. Um, the moves they made, I, I think when you really look at it, uh, and the Giants did a similar thing where it's not what people were used to, uh, where it was uh, just crippling their bankroll and just putting all this money into people uh, with long-term deals. A lot of it was very short-term one-year deals, uh, especially on the line. Mm -hmm. um, they got Greg Van Ron. He's from Carolina. Uh, they shored up. They did some things on the offensive line. They have George Fant. I think aside from McGovern, I think you're going to have question marks on that offensive line. Hence, when we start talking about the draft, they're still going to be tied to an offensive lineman. So it's not like any of those moves were surefire. They fixed the need. Yeah. Um, but as far as defense, I think the biggest need, if you ask any diehard Jet fan, I think bringing back the sack leader and Jordan Jenkins, who uh, really gave them a hometown deal. I think a lot of people thought the Jets weren't going to have the money for him. I think mm – -hmm. A lot of people thought uh, from what he showed last year, he played for a well-deserved contract. And yeah, totally. He ended up coming back on a one-year deal and a very uh, team-friendly contract with the Jets, which I'm sure fans are jumping for joy about. And plus, they get back C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson, which will open the doors for him as well. It was, it's just the Jets' luck. Things are looking good for them. Darnold gets the mono disease like he's back in middle school, and then the two linebackers go out. Um, I think the Patriots... It's interesting. I mean, you lose Kyle Van Noy, you lose Jamie Collins, and obviously you lose TB12. So all that, all those things considered, it's probably a negative offseason in most people's eyes. Um, David Andrews does come back. Isaiah Wynn's going to be back healthy. Nikhil Harry will be back healthy. So having all those guys healthy is a big thing. Having Mohamed Sanu in the fold, I think, for another season will pay dividends. Giving up a second-round pick was something I've been kicking the wall for for the past six, seven months. And listen... The Patriots system is just plug and play. Jamie Collins was a cast off, right? Kyle Van Noy was pretty much a cast off and they found homes in Belichick's system. He's going to draft the right guys, hopefully in the mid to later rounds. That's where he flourishes and have guys that come in there. Tashawn Bauer is going to be good, I think, but they bring back Bo Allen. I think Bentley has some promise, obviously Hightower, and then bring back McCordy on another team-friendly deal. Um, but they did give him some money, you know, just as, hey, thanks for getting us to the Super Bowl so many times and being the captain of our defense. But getting rid of TB12 is the big story, and unfortunately the big divorce or the big ending should have been after they beat the Rams and he rode off into the sunset. 
but the divorce after that was kind of impending and it was going to happen and you're not going to get your perfect storybook ending. So now who do they go with a quarterback? And that's going to bring me to my next question to you guys, the quarterback position. All right. Jets and Bills have their guys for the future, we think. would love to hear your guys' takes on those guys. We'll start with you, though. Back to you, Chris, on the Dolphins. You have the 15, you have the 18, you have the 26. It seems like they're going to take a quarterback. Are they going to take a quarterback, or are they going to roll with Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic, as they say down in Florida, or kind of go with Rosa and see what happens there because they spent a second-round pick on him last year. What are you thinking of the quarterback spot? Yeah, Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic and the Rosen one, they're on the roster right now, and honestly – I think that's actually one of the reasons why I would take a quarter. I would take a quarterback in this draft just because mm. whether it's Tua or Herbert, that kind of debate right there. Simply because with the eight, with Brady leaving for the Patriots and the Jets, and the division's more open than it's been in a while, in my opinion. So I believe that fits magic, whether it's against division opponents or in general, with the improvements on defense and free agency, then also with fits magic, you could win enough games where you might not be in the same spot in the draft next year that you are this year. So in my opinion, while you're at number five, either wait for either Tua, Tua to come to you or get Herbert at five, or if you have to trade up, you have the assets. That's what you waited all these years for is to accumulate all these assets so you can have a position to trade up. So in my opinion, I think this is the time to get another quarterback. Uh, if you need to roll with Fitzmagic for the first couple of games, he's a veteran. He's kind of used to that situation. But in general, he's kind of used to that thing. He, he, he goes out there and plays. Yeah, He knows he's usually not the favorite guy, the guy who's supposed to be in the position, but he just goes out there and plays. And if two is ready to, to take the reins, then you can go all in. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally, totally. It's just about, I think it's waiting to see. You know, do you jump up and bid against yourselves? Or do you kind of let the board fall to you? And I think it's a great point you're bringing up is kind of letting it see, letting it fall to you and see what you have there with Herbert or Tua. Both could still be there, and then you have your pick of the litter. Um, but poor Josh Rosen, what a down, so sad. And I, you know what? And it's like, and it's everyone's talking about the Redskins now pulling a Rosen. I think people th- are expecting that to become the norm when it's a total anomaly. I think I can recall twice, like the Clawson thing with Cam Newton, uh, and he was like an early second round pick, and then the Rosen thing. But outside of that, you really never see the team roll the dice back to back years on a quarterback. It's a total waste, especially at the two pick. Um, the Bills will go to you, man, Sean. Josh Allen, you get Stephen Diggs. You have John Brown, who everyone was – I was in a fantasy league and everyone was hating on John Brown as a trade asset. He went off. He was a great wide receiver three. He is a wide receiver two. I think you bring up a great point, but he does have a good skill set. Obviously, Cole Beasley is just a a baller, like a true man's man. You know, someone you want to go camping with with with, with nothing in your your suitcase. Yeah. is the clock ticking on him now? Like, if he doesn't perform with Diggs, do you have do you have to then the Buffalo Bills go turn around and go wait a second? Maybe this isn't our guy. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're there yet. Uh, Bills Mafia, uh, they love what Josh Allen did last year. The progression yeah. from rookie year to year number two, yeah, it's growing. Look, he has to improve on his deep accuracy. That was awful last year, but you. Bring in a guy like Diggs, maybe that could help things out uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, he didn't play well in the playoff game, but that could be chalked up to just his first experience and, you know, jitters and what have you. But you have to be happy right now if you're a Buffalo Bills fan with where they are with Josh Allen and the, where the team is. 10-6 last year, they lost a heartbreaker to Houston in the wild card game. Yeah. No Tom Brady. They only won three games the Buffalo Bills did against Tom Brady in 20 years. 
uh, three and 32. Ridiculous. Crazy. So they're happy he's out of the division. Does it make a difference? Bill Belichick is still there, right? Is it Brady? Is it Bill Belichick? So you can't really celebrate too much yet. You got to do it. You got to uh, you have to win on the field. You got to beat the Patriots on the field before you could get there uh, and celebrate Tom Brady leaving the division. But uh, Buffalo Bills fans have to be uh, happy right now with the progression of Josh Allen after two years. Do you think he takes the next step? Do you think he takes that next step into top? He doesn't have to be a top 10 quarterback, but he does have to be a top 12, top 15 guy to really get it done, I think, at this league. I, I, I think he's there right now. I think he's between 10 and 15. I, I, okay. I, don't, I don't know if he'll ever be the elite quarterback that people expect him to be because of his accuracy issues. Uh, he's a dual threat. He could run. He could, you could do a lot of things with him. Uh, the Bills are conservative when they play with Josh. They, they kind of pull him back a little bit. So with Diggs now in the fold, uh, it's going to be curious to see what McDermott does as far as throwing the football with Allen. If they're more aggressive with Allen throwing the football, uh, that'll be something to watch this season. And it's year three. I mean, I think we could have a better idea of where Josh Allen is after three years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I totally. want to see what he does on the field in year three before I could really say with confidence if he could be that top 10 quarterback that he was drafted to be seventh mm. overall a couple of years ago. Yeah. Great. 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 All right. NYJ, well, you may, yeah, yeah so you may I have the best to, QB uh, here. Yeah. Well, so before I get to Sam Darnold, I just wanted to add, as of today, I saw Caesars put out. Now this isn't significant because it's happened before, but since 2004, the bills now have their highest over under total and it's higher than the Patriots at wow. nine pats wow. are at eight and a half mm -hmm. pats that's their lowest since oh three the eight and a half is not everywhere but it's it's on caesar so it, it is a number it is a number to throw out so um yeah as of today the bills are the favorite so i think Crazy. that leans towards the quarterback <laughs> position and just to note i think it's very hard to reel in josh allen because he just has that arm i think yeah. he knows he has that arm i mean he he's prone to turnovers in regards to the fumbles but when you have a cannon like that i don't know how you just don't air it out every single time yeah and when you have john brown and Diggs, i, I think the bills are in a good spot with allen now as a in regards to darnold yeah uh, they have to get Le'Veon bell going if they want sam darnold to really take the next step yeah when you talk about reeling in josh allen how do you do that well there were two running back sets you had a young running back in singletary you have playmakers on the outside the Jets lost arguably their biggest playmaker in Robbie Anderson. So now they're going to have to get another receiver. They have Crowder and Perriman, and fine, that's all great. But you, Bell is the guy. And Le'Veon Bell had less, the same amount of rushing touchdowns, I should say, as the year he played eight games and sprained his MCL. And yeah. that can't happen. No. It just can't happen. And if you want to sustain your quarterback and at least keep him protected, obviously you got to build an offensive line, but you got to get your best players involved and with the ball. Not only did he not rush for 1,000 yards, but he didn't find the end zone. So I think the key for Sam Darnold to take the next step is obviously stay healthy and play 16 games. But the Jets as a whole need to figure out what the heck they're doing on offense. And your boy Adam Gase is uh, still there for another year. And I was going to ask about your opinions on, that, on Adam Gase, but I'll save that for a little bit later. It's just it'll be interesting to see how Darnold transitions with Gase's offense in year two and just – to see how Le'Veon works and all of it because that offense looked really sluggish last year, to say the least. Yeah, I think that's being nice. Uh, kind of stunk on ice over there. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's a wonky <laughs> it's a wonky situation, you know, because Darnold misses games, right? 
And when he comes back, they're not bad. They start rolling him out more. They start kind of catering the offense to him a little bit. But you don't want this to be a situation where you have a good QB prospect and a good young quarterback who just happens to be in a bad situation. And it could go either way. Um, I would love to kind of go around their table. Uh, I'll, I'll go Patriots really quickly in their quarterback's position. But then, yeah, I'll throw the Gase question out there because I think it's a great one and it's one that needs to be addressed um, in this little meeting of the minds. But the Patriots have Jared Stidham on the roster. They didn't sign Cam Newton. They didn't sign Jameis Winston. They don't have a lot of cap space either. But I, don't, I think if they really wanted one of those guys, they would have made it work by now. We're going to see what they get in the draft, and maybe things could change afterwards. But I think as of now, Stidham's the guy. They have two-thirds and a first. I don't think they'll spend a first-round pick unless Justin Herbert falls to 23. I'd be surprised if Belichick gave up more assets, considering he doesn't have a lot in the first two rounds to go and get Herbert or give up stuff for next year because they're going to, again, have to retool. I think New England either trades back uh, and then maybe gets a quarterback in the second round. I would love to see them get Jalen Hurts. The guy is a winner. He's improved as a passer every single year with his accuracy. Everywhere he goes, they go somewhere, right? Alabama, he got them all the way to the championship game, and Tua just kind of closed the door. He Mariano Rivera, that thing, for my New York guys. Uh, and then that <laughs> wasn't going to pap up on you guys on this show. The um, <laughs> not as not as long not the longevity. Um, and then he goes to Oklahoma, gets it done there. And even when he was benched, he kind of you know he won the SEC championship game for them. I think Jalen Hurts is a guy that's you know I mean Easton's got the big arm, right? Love's got all the tools. They're saying. And then you got From who's Got it between the ears, but really hasn't put it together yet. Could he be a poor man's Chad Pennington? Do I want to spend a second-round pick on a guy like that? I don't know. So I think Hurts would be the guy for the Patriots, and if they can't get him, they're going to roll stid him. That's my opinion there. My question to you is, yeah, man. Um, Burrow is slotted in at one. Yeah. He's going to the Bengals. Now, you talk about a winning quarterback in Andy Dalton, and I say winning sparingly. He's won before is the best way I'll put it. Totally. He's been to the playoffs before. To me, I just know he's on the market, and I was kind of doing this free agency carousel. Yeah. I was like, all right, Jameis or Cam to New England, and everyone's like, no way. They turned the ball over too many questions. So it's like, I don't know. I think if you're committed to Stidham, I think Dalton's a guy that the pads might be linked to. But when you talk about those late trades or Belichick really getting something out of nothing, like he trades a fourth or a fifth or whatever it was just for Dalton because – Think about it. I mean, he's not just going to sit behind Burrow, I don't think. And I saw him putting out training tape. I was just interested to hear if Dalton would be a guy you'd be interested in, you know, under center for New England. I think you kind of answer the question uh, in your in your points here. I think the thing is he gets a Bill check. Belichick goes and gets for a fourth or fifth round pick. He gets the diamond and the rough guy that no one's really talking about or everyone's forgotten. I think the Bengals realize that, and I think the Bengals have a higher asking price on Dalton than people think. I think with the shortened offseason, the Bengals want Dalton in the fold so they could ease Burrow in. Listen, Dalton's not a bad quarterback. I don't, I don't think anybody thinks that. I think we're all kind of in agreement that he's decent. He's not. He's kind of like a step below Alex Smith. That's where I would throw him, right? Like kind of in like that 18 to 20. Is he better than Derek Carr? He might be fully healthy he might be better than Derek Carr you could you could put that argument he's up there at least in the conversation or maybe he does need a change of scenery like look look people are ready to throw the towel on like Tannehill right Tannehill was like toast he goes to back up Mariota change of scenery all of a sudden he's playing an elite level so maybe Dalton does need that I think the Bengals are waiting and seeing and kind of bridge the gap best case scenario for the Bengals he comes in fully healthy there's no questions about his injuries he plays well enough that maybe that third round pick they want that they're not getting they can get for next year 
uh, with Andy Dalton, ease Joe Burrow in, pick up a third rounder instead of a fifth rounder, and they call it a day. I think the Patriots want him. I think you're right. I think they, they go, okay, Cam Newton turns the ball over too much. Jameis, I can't even fathom him how much. The ball it, over the most. <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, what, at what point? Like, listen, he's, he's not like he's not a talented guy. At what point do you go, hey, listen, I'm throwing 20 interceptions. That's a lot. Like, how do you get to 30? Like how do you I, I, how do you get there? Like I don't know. It's Bruce like Arians un- wants to air it out. That's why. He's yeah. You know, Jameis. Yeah, it's crazy though. Were any of you guys sitting there like? Yeah, we could do, you know delve away for the, the AFC East for a second. Were any of you guys sitting there and going, "Oh my God! Like what the hell is going on?" Like when he got to pick number twenty. Like, did you even fathom me to get to pick number 30? Chris, you're out there in Florida. You're a Florida State guy. We should throw that out there. Let's get your freaking take on this because he was he, – he's your guy, man. Yeah, so honestly, that lace – the eye surgery thing has been legit since college. I remember I was watching a game, and my mom said, why is he squinting? Yeah. It was like his freshman year. I was like, what do you mean he's squinting? And I noticed this guy – look at the plays. He's going like this every play call. Can he, like Jimbo was sending him in the signal. He can't even see. And he's always had a problem with that the linebackers. I, I remember the, the first time I noticed it was a Notre Dame game when they're at in Tallahassee. He would throw to a receiver cutting across the middle or a tight end, but he would just never see the linebacker. The linebacker would well, just come kind of fade back and be an interception right into the guy's hands. So to me, that's always been a problem with him. But at the same time, the throws he does makes unreal. I was watching him play the Falcons in Atlanta with like Rashad Perriman and a bunch of scrubs, essentially. And he's throwing this – pass it goes past three db's fingertips right into the receiver's hands so the guys he can thread a needle he can make every throw but that's also part of the issue he knows he can make every throw and so sometimes he forces passes that aren't there and ever so to me he needs a guy receiving core where everyone's going to be at the in the right spot so like mike evans he's a freak of a, a receiver he's a freak of nature but is his route running the best maybe not that's why maybe chris godwin was a little bit better at, you know connection because he ran better routes. And so if James has a reliable receiver that's going to be in the right spot at the right time, that can help him out. With the Patriots, I could see Belichick doing – I don't think it's going to happen, but I could see in a crazy scenario where you go with more of the home run. If Belichick doesn't feel like he can get a, a quarterback in the draft, the best talent at the quarterback position out there, in my opinion, is James. Now, yeah, totally. How you hold him, that's the question. So. It's a loose cannon. I'm just thinking about the fact that you just said that. I never really thought about it, and now that I think about it, most of those interceptions were to linebackers. His pick six to end the season was to a linebacker. His bad one in London, I don't know if you guys watched that London game, threw like six. Uh, There was a lot, but there was one really bad one. It was like, essentially, he threw a curl route to a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's the most entertaining thing in football right now. Like, watching his game... Like, you don't know what's going to happen. It's either going to be five touchdowns or it could be, like, you know, six interceptions. You just don't know. But it's the perfect entertainment on, like, NFL red zone. Or I think it was, the, it was like, the London game that was the – like, I'm on, I'm on West Coast time. I'm, I'm in California right now. And it was the London game. And I remember, like, looking at my phone. The game starts at 6 a.m. By 7 a.m., the guy's throwing, like, five picks. We're in the second quarter. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Jet lag? Like, is this – there's no way. I mean, he does have those up-and-down games. Someone's going to take a chance on him. I just hope he falls in a situation and can, you know, perform where there's not much – where he kind of ease in and kind of get a shot at the same time. So he doesn't have to kind of perform right away, but also will have his chance to shine. Maybe Pittsburgh or Indianapolis. Um, let's break it down. Let's head to the draft because there's a lot of quarterbacks there. Um, Miami, we'll start with you. You have the 5, the 18, and the 26. Where do you want to see these guys go? Where do you want to see the Dolphins go with the 5, the 18, and the 26 in an ideal world for you? 
in an ideal world, so a lot of people mentioned the straight-up scenario, going up from five to maybe two with the yeah. Redskins, or maybe five to three with, with Detroit. Uh, personally, I would just stay at five. E- either you move up and try and keep your first-round picks or stay at five. For me, the move-up range really is from 18 potentially into the middle of the first rounds or from like the 11 to, to like 16 range. Yeah. Because – those offensive tackles, like at five, you could go ahead and get a Tristan Wirfs. You could get Andrew Thomas or Makai back then as offensive tackle because the Dolphins do need help at tackle. You could get one at five. But you could also find one in that later round and kind of like the Jets uh, range right th- around there. You could get one down there. So I would actually rather save the trade assets to move up from 18 up versus moving up from five to the top range. Because in my opinion, either Herbert – I like Tua better than Herbert. But in my opinion, you could roll with Herbert, have him sit behind Fitzmagic or Rosen for a year and mm-hmm. really develop because he has the raw tools. But I think Tua, you're kind of pitting against yourself, as you mentioned before. I think Tua will be there at five. unless Now, maybe the Chargers move up. Maybe they do move up. Or maybe another team moves up. But I think Herbert's still a good consolation, if you will. And then you can still have your assets either add more depth to your team or move up from 18 up to like a, to get that tackle later. And at 26, in my opinion, you do need help on the D-line, D-tackle. You could also do some safety help, so maybe Grant Delpit or Xavier McKinney mm-hmm. and safety. Ooh. But also, the Dolphins just need more talent in general. So whatever the best player that's available on the board, I believe they should kind of go with that. You need to get a tackle and then definitely get a quarterback. But with that last first-round pick, if you keep it, that is best player available. Yeah, totally. I think Antoine Winfield Jr. could be a pick there as well for them. Talk about safety. I don't think Xavier McKinney's – I think he's going to be picked a lot higher than people think. He's good. You got some versatility right there, but I like what all you're saying with that is it'd be interesting to see if the Dolphins move up if they do take a tackle to kind of go get a quarterback. Maybe if Herbert starts to fall in that Jets range and the, and the tackle starts to go and the Jets have to move back. Steven, we'll go to you with the Jets, man. The 11th pick, good so good area, but kind of uh, wonky though like because they need the offensive tackle more than they need the wide receiver, I think. Yeah, well, I've seen some mocks out there, and they have them kind of trading back a few spots because I, I don't know. I think like you guys, as he was mentioning earlier, that there's about four or five, I think, tackles that are, you know, I think there's three that separate themselves and Wills, Beckton, and Werfs, and then everyone else is very talented. I think Andrew Thomas is someone who's at 11, yeah. who's probably going to make it out of the top 10, who's yeah. not really getting looked at as a top three guy, who I think is a beast. I, I think he's very talented. I think he has a size. He he's played the most left tackle. Yeah, I, I think I think he's very talented. I mean, he runs a hair less than Beckton's forty time, but I mean, as a lineman, you're not running very far. You're not running 40 yard dashes. As long as you're intangibles, he's six five, three hundred, you know, close to fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got the prototypical size. I, I think the real question, and, and I ask Jet fans this all the time, is would you rather if they go quarterback and tackle heavy? And some of those defensive guys like Simmons and Akuda go in that top 10, you know, at 11, you can probably get Lamb or Judy. And it's how, how do you value those guys? And I think Lamb and Judy are studs. I think they're solidified receivers. And I yeah. Think proven. I think Ruggs I think, too, honestly. I think they're worth the gamble at 11, especially if they make it out. And even if one goes top 10 and you can get the second best, if it's Lamb, so be it. That's fine because I think they're both talented enough. But at the same time, this draft also fits them well enough that it's so deep at wide receiver. If you really wanted to address tackle at 11 because there's only that handful and wait on a receiver and get mm-hmm. whoever falls, you know, you trade back up and get a 
Ayuk or Justin Jefferson or whoever the heck is there, Michael Pittman Jr. That's, I mean, for a second round pick, I guess it's kind of worth the value at the pit. It just, to me, I think the need for the Jets is left tackle more than receiver, especially because they just got your boy Perriman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they signed him on a one year deal. So again, when you have Le'Veon Bell, I think the most important thing is going to be solidifying that offensive line. So I like Andrew Thomas, but if they could really get lucky enough that even a Beckton falls to them, I think they're kind of in a good spot right outside that top 10 because a lot of teams are going to force trades. A lot of teams are going to get quarterback needy, I think, especially a team like the Chargers. Who knows what the Redskins are going to do? So I think 11 is actually interesting because outside that top 10, there's a few play, a few players that kind of get forgotten about. Totally. I mean, guys fall the time. Guys fall all the time. I think about Laramie Tunsil. I think he went to the Dolphins probably at about 11. 13. On draft day, that video came out. This guy was projected top two, top three, and he just fell and fell and fell. Ripping a bong. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's getting traded for first rounders. Imagine if I lost a million dollars every time I ripped the bong. Be on the street. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> he'll get his money. He's going to be the highest paid left tackle. I know, right? Left Good, good for him. He does. That's he. Did, he freaking deserves that shit. That's that was such nonsense, dude. Yeah. And screw the guy who released that video. But think it's exactly, a, exactly. I think his uncle. I'm pretty sure. Was it uncle? It was some family backstory. It was some crazy backstory. I'm pretty sure it was someone involved with that. So damn, dude, that's wild. That's bonkers. Agent, agent uncle gone wrong kind of situation. Damn, Chris Sharp, man, but detective guys, at large. With the Jets, who's making the pick, though? Is it Adam Gase or is it Joe Douglas? You know, I know yeah. Joe and Douglas is a great question. GM. It's a great uh, question. Well, that, that's a great question. I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. I was actually going to tie that into the Adam Gase question because I'm Pose it. I'm confused. My biggest offseason concern with the Jets is why, at the end of the season, they, did they need to commit to Adam Gase as quickly as they did. They didn't explore any other coaches. I think they were more concerned about having Sam Darnold go under another offense which is concerning for a young quarterback. I get that. But Adam Gaze is creating waves. Joe Douglas is doing his best job this offseason to disembowel. I mean, he's bringing Jamal Adams back in. As long as they give him money, it's going to be all right. But that sour taste with Lev Bell started with Gaze because he got signed, and then Gaze didn't necessarily want him, and he decided to be vocal about it. It's like you're the head coach of the football team. You just gave him a four-year deal He's not going anywhere. I, I don't know. I was just curious on your thoughts over in Florida on how Adam Gase was for you guys. Uh, he's far from an offensive guru, in my opinion, but uh, I don't know if you have any better words to say about him. <laughs> yeah, it just never tied together with those injuries, a quarterback, or even just – there were some fl- – there were flashes. There were a couple flashes, and then eventually the Dolphins kind of just decided, you know, we're going to tear this thing to the ground and not really build. So, to me, Gase, yes, I believe he had some cre- – he has creativity on offense and things do work out, but it's not, it's, it's just, you know, it's not the same. It's, it's not like it, it's personality too. It, it wasn't meshing in Miami per se with the culture down there. And clearly it's not working so far in New York either. So it's almost like he's working against himself in certain situations, whether it's not committing to a specific quarterback or kind of, you know, not uplifting the team in certain aspects. Sometimes a, a team does need a raw, raw kind of in your face kind of coach. It's like a disciplinarian, but other times, you just have to understand what's going on with your team and the culture and kind of relate to your players and not whether it's a rough situation, whether you're going four and all, you know, winning four games or if you're winning 12 games, you have to be able to, you know, be on that play. You know, you have the back of your team. This is who you're going with. This is your vision, apparently. And then with a the young quarterback, too, it's, you know, it didn't work out in Miami with the young quarterbacks. I'm hoping with Darnold it does. You know, yeah. I, I wish we could have seen the whole mono situation happen. So 
this is the true test next season, honestly, right here, because now it's the the Patriots, you know, on defense should be really good, but, you know, maybe they're not running with the division as they've done the last, what, 20 years pretty much, but, to- you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think he gets an N.A. on the year. I think the whole Darnold thing throws a monkey. They can't fire him after Darnold goes down for so long. Yeah. They have to see how the whole thing shakes out, and now Joe Douglas has pressure on him, unfortunately, to kind of put the pieces around him where kind of Gase does get a little bit of a buy, but they do have to kind of see eye to eye. I think the issue with Gase, and this this could be a, this could be like a you know quote unquote weak analysis, but I just think it's the truth and it's the modern day, just the way the world works and the way players work nowadays. I just don't think Adam Gase is cool enough to run a locker room. Just like straight up, like I don't think he's relatable or cool enough to like run a locker room full of young guys. It's like a different like twenty years ago, maybe he's a better head coach. But it's the same thing like if you cross sport it to basketball, like Jaleel Okafor would have been sick, but like twenty years ago, you know, he's a dinosaur. I think I think Adam Gase is kind of the dinosaur in the coaching guard. I just don't think he's like he's just like a X's and O's guy, a numbers guy, and that's how he kinda of operates. You see him talk to the media. There's no flair. He's like like Belichick is kind of like that, but he's got six rings and can do whatever he wants. And he, he knows what he's talking about. See, like the aura behind. Like, and he's like, the man. top of it. He's the top of it. He's yeah. the. He's like you have, and you either have to be better than Belichick to be able to do this, or it's not going to work out in that kind of sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's kind of like are you going to war for somebody? Like I'm not. Uh, let's off. I'm not going to war for Adam Gates now. Brian Flores. You know what I mean? I Hell was, yeah. I feel inspired when he has, yeah. You know, every time he talks to the media, I feel inspired. I can see the team fight during the whole season, which is why the Dolphins are the number five pick instead of number one because those players actually they didn't the talent they even have been there. It's a great but point. They fought. They it's a fought great the point. So I mean, down. yeah, I'm sure you feel the same way with McDermott. Oh, Sean. absolutely. Yeah, they they love him in Buffalo. But uh, one more question on the Jets though before I uh, please we move on though. If if at number eleven you have the choice between Judy or Lamb or Andrew Thomas, let's say the top three offensive tackles according to you know most mocks are mm-hmm. off the board. So Becton's off the board. Uh, the kid from Iowa is off the board. And then uh, who's the other? Jedrick Wills. About really high. Oh, uh, the kid from Alabama. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? Do you want Andrew Thomas as your offensive tackle, or would you go with one of the uh, wide receivers, Judy or Lamb? I mean, I'll just go with uh, the fan favorite, and I'll take a wide receiver. Well, I've been split. I-, I was leaning very heavy on Judy early on, but then I saw CeeDee Lamb's uh, – NFL combine and kind of put on the tape a little bit more. And I think he fits the uh, Jets team a little bit better right now. So I would probably, I'm leaning towards Lamb a little bit. Uh, but on the same note, I don't think that's necessarily the right move. I do think that Andrew Thomas would make more sense for the Jets just because if you look at who's at left tackle right now, it's George Fant, who was a rotational left right. tackle and, uh, you know, is an athletic build. He's not necessarily a, a prototypical left tackle. But then again, on, on the same note, another Georgia guy who, I'm high on for both the Giants and the Jets in the second round. The, um, a man mm-hmm. by the name of Isaiah Wilson yeah, right. has all the build. He was their right tackle. I think there are some guys in the second round there that think a lot of players get overhyped. And again, I think there's going to be this very offensive, heavy, um, skill-wise draft. I mean, they had projected five receivers in the first round, and there could be three quarterbacks, and there's 30 picks. So that's almost a third of the draft when you really think about it. There's so many defensive guys in there. So I'm leaning towards Lamb. I think the right answer would probably be Thomas. But on the same note, I think the Jets are also in a position early enough in the second round that they could get alignment. Yeah, and to jump in there uh, before we go to you, Sean, with the Bills, um, see what they do outside the first round uh, with their first pick in the second. 
Um, I'm a Texas guy, just so you guys know. I've seen every one of Lamb's games for God knows how long. Unfortunately, he's a problem. He's a pro. He's Des Bryant, but maybe a bit of a big, bigger deep threat is what people are saying, and I kind of agree with that. Judy, though, I think I my hot take at the beginning of the season was Judy's going to be the first overall pick. I think he's that good. I think, and I, I'm not the team take wide receiver in the first round. I just think he's that that good. He's just routes are beautiful. His hands are surefy. Yeah. Um, but rumors we're hearing Jets love Henry Ruggs. Rumors we're hearing the Broncos are looking to trade up to the top ten. Are you shaking your head over there, Stephen? I think it's possible. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I don't buy the Henry Ruggs hype. I, I mean, I've always been against the receivers who run the fastest forties to begin with. I, I just that's not me, and I think they'd be basically what they didn't sign Robbie Anderson to get another guy that just is going to run straight. I know Ruggs is a big play guy, but if you really want to break it down, you're going to take Ruggs over his teammate who you even talked about, and I'll agree with you a 1,000% because I've seen Jerry Judy's routes. This guy creates yep. himself to get open, and he has the hands to back it up. Sick as I mean, I'm taking that guy 10 times out of 10 because of just all the things he can do in space and get himself open. It's not a design play. He's not a play-action bomb guy. Mm-hmm. He gets himself space. He gets himself open, which is, I, I think is so undervalued in the NFL. I will say, yeah. Yeah. inversely, though, um, two more things before we go to you, Sean, quickly, real quick. Yep. Watching Judy, though, I got to see Ruggs. I think the way they had utilized him, it kind of gives him off the speed survive, plus him running the fastest 40 kind of gives him that label. I think he's more than that. I think you're looking at the, his ceiling to be a Tyreek Hill type. And while Tyreek Hill could outrun a cheetah, I think he's he. I think he's up there though with the ability to be able to do more than just hit the straight line. So I would like him better than Robbie Anderson. But I think I'm with you. I think it's well, got to be Thomas. That's fair too because Alabama did have three stud receivers last year, and neither Judy or Ruggs were the leading receiver on the team last year. So I think exactly. that also says a lot about how much talent crazy. they actually had. But, Stupid. You know, yeah, it's crazy. And I talk about LSU's wide receiver talent too. I think Justin Jefferson is going to be a steal for someone yeah. too. I, I think. I, I compare this wide receiver class. I don't think you go wrong really with either. I think this class is actually as loaded as the Beckham, Evans, Jarvis class. I just I think if you really look at it, the chances that three out of the five that are taken in the first round become pro bowlers, I think I would take the over on that. I, I, I think it's pretty high. I'm with it. I'm with it if they fall in the right situation. And I will say in the offensive tackle front, I think there are going to be seven offensive tackles that go in the first round. That's my hot take right there. Sean. The Bills have already kind of won the draft in some regards, similar to the, how the Colts did with DeForest Buckner getting him at the, for the 13th pick. The Bills get a wide receiver, at least a very proven wide receiver for the 22nd pick. They get a guy that's proven it all. You know what you're getting in Diggs. He's a true number one. Outside of that, though, so you already have an A. You already have an A grade, but you got to finish out strong here. You do have the number. You do have a second and a third and fourth round pick. Who's someone you want the Bills to kind of go after in those kind of rounds to add? To I'd team? love the Bills. I... <sighs> You're right about what you just said with the winning the the draft with the Stefan Diggs trade, and I was all in on that. It was a high price to pay, especially after DeAndre Hopkins goes to Arizona for less. You're like, oh wow, you know, like maybe that would have been possible to get DeAndre Hopkins, but no, because the the, the fired GM of the Texans now works for the Buffalo Bills. No way, Bill O'Brien's going to do um, business with with him. So uh, that wasn't possible. But I love the Diggs trade. Uh, in the second round, they're going to need either a running back to back up Devin Singletary or to split time with Devin Singletary. I don't know who's going to be available at 54th overall, but they need an edge rusher. They have Mario Addison, who I should have mentioned before. They signed him from the Carolina Panthers, but he's, he's old. He's 32, 33 years old. They have Jerry Hughes, another guy, 32, 33. Trent Murphy, I think, is going to get cut after June 1st. Uh, he's 30 years old, has not been productive as a Buffalo Bill uh, since signing the contract coming over from Washington. Uh, so if he gets cut, they'll save seven million dollars. Uh, only uh, one point seven million in dead cap money if they cut 
Trent Murphy. So they're going to need an edge pass rusher. And so who's going to be available? That'll be the big thing. They might go best available because they also need a running back, as I just mentioned. If J.K. Dobbins is there from Ohio State, if he's available because he's a complete back, I'd love for them to take him 54th overall. But there's going to be a run. Cam Akers from Florida State, your guy there, Chris, he's probably going to be in that mix as well, uh, late second round. But he might go earlier than that too because there's going to be a run. You also have Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. I'm not high on him. I would not select him even if he were available at 54, only because he's not a great pass blocker. The Bills are going to need somebody who's a complete uh, back there. Um, and I'm not sold on his uh, receiving skills as well, Jonathan Taylor, despite running a, what, a 4.3940, which is crazy for a guy that big. Uh, you thought he was more of a straight-line guy anyway, but uh, that was impressive. So I'm not high on Jonathan Taylor, but the Bills are either going to go running back or edge rusher with the second-round pick, I believe. I think it would be smart to do an edge rusher, the best available there. Uh, So you could expect them to go running back, uh, defensive end, uh, edge pass rusher there with the first two picks, and then just depth for the offensive line there. They have their guys uh, already, their starters. They just need some depth behind the the, the starters right now in the offensive line. Maybe cornerback. I mean, it just it really depends on who falls. If if Trevon Diggs from Alabama, cornerback's there in the second round, 54th overall, do they take a shot? They have Trey White on the other side. They just signed Josh Norman, but you know, what does Josh Norman have left? It's just a one-year deal. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see what they, they do. There are a lot of options there, and we know Brandon B. and the GM likes to take best available, so that's a concern. Uh, that's uh, interesting uh, to note. But I think they go edge pass rusher with the second-round pick and then running back an offensive line there to, to round it out. Nice. Nice. The, deep, the running back class is just as deep, except people don't take running backs in the first round uh, anymore. Yeah. I think the Patriots, to go real quickly, I kind of mentioned it before, I think to go Xavier McKinney or Zach Bond, depending on who's available there, get a versatile guy for the defense and wait on the quarterback and see what falls, rather than unless Herbert's there, I think they'll take him. But I don't see him falling to 23, and I don't see them rushing to jump on Jordan Love because I'm not sold on him either, and I can't imagine Belichick is because again yeah he goes to the different offensive coordinators but there's still that 17 interceptions that you got to look at despite who's around him um cool guys we're rolling through this thing I want to talk about before we go to the last question uh there's running backs available you bring up Cam Akers a guy who's a big sleeper if you were to take the first running back your first running back who'd your first running back be because it's been a big debate and underlying debate as well Chris we'll go with you man so my first running back, uh, it kind of, I, I kind of like what uh, was what Sean was saying about the, the complete back of the pass protection, and also personally, uh, I saw Cam Akers in person. That offensive line we had the last two years was horrendous. I'm talking one of the worst in the Power Five, if not. There's actually either some probably some D two teams honestly that had a better line at certain points, and he was still running for that hundred, you know, over a hundred yards every game. We we beat ULM at home, Louisiana Monroe at home. It went to almost went to overtime. And we almost lost Louisiana Monroe at home. And Cam Akers had 40 carries. It, he put the team on his back and literally carried us to a win. We gave him the ball 40 times, and he did that. So if you give him an actual offensive line at time, I think he's a lot of talent. Uh, I'm in Indianapolis currently, actually. So I was at the combine when the O-linemen and the running backs were competing. Jonathan Taylor's 40. That man was flying. For his size, he was flying. But the fumble issues, and then uh, was, that's a little bit of a problem as well. And J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, he he is that guy. Like against Clemson, he showed what before that ankle injury, he was about to carry Ohio State to a win against Clemson as well. So I like those guys. DeAndre Swift at UGA, he's sure. he's a nice player, but um, I like Swift a lot, especially as a receiver. I like Swift in the offense where they can use him more as almost like a slot receiver in a way, and you know, kind of like a Kenyon Drake kind of kind of role in a way. But he kind of has that kind of athleticism, that kind of juice. But I would probably put Acres and Dobbins up there for me. 
Definitely. Cool. And then, yeah, Zach Moss is underrated as well. Yeah, very. And AJ Dillon, I'll throw in there as well. Uh, who's your top running back, Sean? I go J.K. Dobbins as my top running back, but I like Akers a lot too because he could uh, catch out of the backfield the, the football. So he's gaining like some one, steam. One A. Yeah. What's that? Akers is gaining some steam here. Yeah, he in, is. In, I, in, I mean, on most of these mocks, he's, he's uh, the first running back they're going to take. But wow, uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor's up there as well. I'm not high on him though, as I just mentioned. Uh, that kid out of Texas, uh, your your uh, your alma mater, I think, right? Uh, he could play too. I mean, he's a sleeper in the second round, third round. We don't Today have uh, is his name, right? Who? Uh, Clyde Hilaire from LSU, another guy yeah. we haven't mentioned. I like Zach Moss a lot out of Utah. I mean, he he was uh, he's a beast. So uh, that's that's interesting to see where he's going to go. So there's there's some value there later in the second and third round for running back position. But I go Dobbins number one and Acres uh, right behind. Nice, Stephen. I really do like Zach Moss. Uh, I, he's not my top running back, but I he was a man amongst children out in the Pac-12 a few times when I watched Utah a lot of last year, just wondering how the heck they were so dominant. He was yeah, you gotta the get driving curious. force of that offense. Totally. I remember I, I just always see them just in the top 10. I'm like, how the heck is Utah this good? And he was, he was just a refrigerator running around. Um, I will play a little devil's advocate, and I actually do like Jonathan Taylor despite all the carries he's had. Just because I, I'm just going to tip my cap to the college career. And I, I know, I mean, it's a cookie cutter way out of it, but just running for over 2,000 yards and essentially being a consensus All-American for three consecutive years, I just think, I mean, that speaks for itself. I think his window is going to be a lot shorter yeah. than a lot of teams. But I do think um, where he's probably going to get taken is a team that's going to be ready to com- like to compete. Totally. I think a team like Pittsburgh, I think most likely a team like Pittsburgh has been linked to them, even in the 40 range, so that wouldn't make him the top. But I think if you tell me that he's going to get in a two-back field uh, with Connor and Jonathan Taylor in Pittsburgh with a solidified line like that, I think that's a, a winning formula. I, I think yeah. out of all of them, I think Swift probably has the most uh, – I like Swift and Akers the most out of the backfield to like to be the most explosive – but in terms of running back, I think Jonathan Taylor can help a team win this year just off what he's done. I think his winning pedigree and just how hard he runs the damn ball is talented enough. He does have receiving questions, but at the same time, he has shown flashes of being able to catch the balls out of the backfield. So if you get half of that, I think you do get a complete back out of him. Totally. To it. Taylor's production has been amazing. Akers was the big recruit. For, the, for those listening that don't remember, he was a massive recruit, top 10 recruit. on uh, Florida State couldn't put it around him. So I think it, we're all bringing up great points with Cam Akers. I'll go Homer pick. I grew up a Buckeyes fan, so I watched every one of those games. Dobbins, talk about the complete back. I mean, obviously that ankle injury at the end, not the way you want to finish the season. But outside of that, he was the anchor. Obviously, Fields goes off for a ridiculous season, but he's the safety net on that Ohio State offense. And he was a really, he's a big-time juggernaut who's got speed and can really cut and make you pay and, and kill some clock. So Dobbins my number one. And you guys know the other producer, Alex, on Believe, uh, is my roommate. And he grew up, we're both Texas guys, but he grew up an LSU fan. So I watched all of LSU's games with him. And we're talking about the modern running back, the guy that can receive out of the backfield, and Edwards Hilaire has it in spades. So Edwards Hilaire is my number two back. I think a team's going to get really lucky with him. I think he could be, be nice with Devin Singletary, who for Devin Singletary's size, he can really run the ball over in Buffalo. I'm, yeah, when, five, seven, yeah. I, and when I interviewed him, I like looked at him like twice. I was like, damn, man, you're 
you're Devin Singletary? He's like, yeah, man, what's up? <laughs> Crazy, man. But he's got some power for a guy his size, so I think Edwards Lair would be a nice compliment. Um, cool, guys. Time's flying like we're having fun. Last question for everybody. It's a loaded question, though. I want a hot take for the draft and a hot take for your team next season. Hot take for the draft for your team and a hot take for next season. Give me a scorcher. I've seen some scorchers. We've done a couple of these division show, shows, and I've seen a couple couple people throw out ridiculous burning hot takes. So don't don't feel weird if it sounds crazy, all right? Chris, we'll go to you from Miami. Hot take for the draft and a hot take for the Dolphins next season. Gosh, I think a hot take for the draft is kind of what I was alluding to earlier and how the Dolphins – Everyone thinks the Dolphins are going to make a trade up at number five. Yeah. But I don't think that's happening at all. I think they're going to stay at number five. If Tua falls, so be it. But if, if he doesn't, they either, they're going to take a tackle or they'll take Herbert. But I think the real trade up is going to happen from either 26 or 18, maybe a packet, you know, maybe one of those, probably number 18. I think that trade up is going to happen. And they're going to take, if someone's going to fall, whether it's a, it's a, a Brown from Auburn or a Ken Law, D tackle along those lines. One of those players is going to fall. I think the Dolphins make a move up for an impact defender. If Isaiah Simmons, for example, if he slips a little bit, look for the Dolphins. They have the assets. Look for them to trade up for an impact guy on defense. Maybe even on offense, honestly. C.D. Lamb as well. So they're going to make a trade, not at five for a quarterback, but with one of the other first-round picks for a player such as like a Ken Law or like a C.D. Lamb. Awesome. And a hot take for the season for the Dolphins? Gotcha. For the season, I would definitely say I kind of can see the Dolphins finishing in second place in the division, honestly. Nice. It sounds a little crazy, but with the defense additions, I think, and a solid draft, this team and the momentum as well. Look for Miami to get rocking. Look, look for the Hard Rock Stadium to get rocking. Honestly, I think the Dolphins have a little more juice if they get a nice, a nice momentum going. And you never know what happens in the rest of the division. Injuries can happen to other teams, so I think the Dolphins can finish in second place. Nice, love that, Sean. Hot take for the draft. Hot take for the division. Oh. All right, hot take for the draft. All right, Joe Burrow will disappoint in Cincinnati. Yeah, he'll be okay, but he's not <laughs> going to be this savior that the Bengals are counting on him to be. Without Joe Brady and that LSU offense, he'll struggle to live up to the number one overall billing that uh, he's going to have there going to Cincinnati number one. He'll be okay. I don't think he's going to be great. The all-pro that a lot of people say he might be. And there's some people out there who, who are, uh, you know, cautious with the number one overall pick but uh, that would be my hot take I, I think Joe Burrow when we look back on this draft uh, will not be the uh, I guess all pro that some people are, are, are counting on him to be in Cincinnati and so that, if that's a hot take that's my hot take there with the draft as far as for the Bills hot take win the division is that really that much of a hot take though I mean some people give me hotter give me hotter Steven Steven already said that they are projected to win the most games in that division Bills go to the AFC championship game uh, compete and lose out to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship. That's that, fair. That, if you say that that's a hot take, if you said that, that would have borderline crazy if you said they beat the Chiefs, because uh, I think that's next to impossible. <laughs> uh, Steven, the Jets, man, give me a hot take for the draft and a hot I take do for the Bills. I have another hot the take Jets. for Sean over there. Ready? Yeah. Josh, Josh Allen gets another receiving touchdown in the playoffs. Let's see it happen. <laughs> like, let's see it happen. The fans want it. The people want it. But you got to win the game. You got to win the game this time. All right, well, hot, uh, hot take for the draft, and I'm all aboard on this one just because I'd love to see the division foe crumble. Uh, I obviously split time with the Giants as well, so I'd love to see Tua go two uh, to the Redskins just to cause chaos and pandemonium across the entire league. I think only Mel Kuyper is the only person to link this, but I'll hop on the Mel train. I'm here. I'm here for it because 
Um, I do think the Redskins significantly uh, hurt Haskins last year. I think they brought him in at a terrible time. Horrible. And I don't. Horrible. Yeah. They brought him in second half against the Giants. I was at the game, and it was only because Daniel Jones was having a mediocre game, and they're like, all right, let's just put it out there. It was a headline. It worked out terribly. He threw like three picks. It did not work out well. The season didn't work out much better. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think they're actually going to take him, but a hot take would be they do take him at two, and you can only imagine how the draft would follow Chaos. after that. It would send the trickle down. Chase Young could be at four, could be at five. You don't know. What do the what do the Lions do? The Lions, the Lions are linked to trades with the Chargers. It would cause pandemonium. So I'm here for the two at two. Um, and then for the Jets, uh, I mean – it's not hot enough, and I won't talk about another man's job. I'll just go to the gambling side of things, okay? So I'm going to take both the Jets over at six and a half, and I'm also going to take them to win the East with the best odds. Although the Dolphins have plus 1,000, taking Jets plus 700 this year. If there's a year to do it, <laughs> it's this year. But I'll tell you what's going to be the hardest part about it, and I, I wanted to mention this stat the whole time. The Jets haven't had a winning record in division in a decade since 2010. So if they're going Sanjai's. to win the division, they have, yeah, yeah. They, since 2010, they've been three and three twice, um, and two and four a lot. So if they're going to do it, uh, they're going to have to win some divisional games. But you know what? I think if there is a year to do it, like you said, it's going to be a fringe season. So let's put it this way: uh, if it doesn't work out for Gaze, what he probably gone or Douglas is gone, is gone, and then what? It's a revolving door, and then who knows what happens to the offense? And then mm-hmm. Greg Williams, what happens to Greg Williams? He's already. You know, he's on the defensive side of the ball, but he's always on the move. And so, I don't know. I think if the Jets don't put it together this season, uh, the team will look significantly different next year. I think there's a chance maybe Lev gets traded. I think that'll be another hot take people will probably look at. But I think in the, in the best interest of the Jets is to definitely sign Jamal Adams to whatever he wants and do not trade Lev Bell. If they trade Lev Bell, I, I, this team is just going to waste fire. the window where the Patriots aren't winning the division. That's so... <laughs> That's what I got. That's so I'm up for the hot take to kind of combat that. I Greg Williams, I mean, he's just he's he's so talented enough to be a head coach. He's just too weird to talk to the parents kind of situation is how I feel about it. You know, you know, you know that high school coach I'm talking about, the assistant one right there. Um he's a rolling stone. Uh Patriots hot takes. Hot takes for the draft. They don't take a quarterback. They fell out every other knee. They have three third-round picks. They have a first-round pick. They go defense. They go offense in the third. They go receivers, and they don't take a quarterback at all in this draft. They roll with Stidham. They sign a guy, whoever's available, uh, to back him up, and they see how they roll the dice with him for one year and see how it goes. Second hot take, I think they make it farther than they did last year in the playoffs. So go to the divisional weekend. That is my not it, let alone make the playoffs at all. My hot take is to go farther than they did last year. I think they retool, they restock, and if the only question is Jared Stidham at quarterback, I th- with who under center? With Stidham, with Stidham under center. Stidham? All he all listen. All that has to happen is this: they need to add one offensive lineman for depth, one wide receiver, nab a tight end, nab a versatile defender, and maybe get a defensive lineman in the third round. All those things fall into place, and I think they can because it's a deep class. If all those things fall into place, the New England Patriots may not win the division, but I think they'll go farther than they did last year in the playoffs and go to the divisional round under Jared Stidham. All he has to do is not make mistakes. As long as you don't turn the ball over and you can keep the ball moving on the run game, he's fine. I think Nikhil Harry has a nice bounce back. Curious to see what they do with Edelman. Gentlemen, that's the AFC East for the first time in a long time. It's up in the air. 
It's going to be a good one. I'm excited for the season. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this Believe Roundtable. Really awesome job, guys. You really came prepared. Uh, Chris Sharp, where can we find you, man? Yeah, so Believe in FC Football Podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, underscore Chris Sharp, underscore. So I'm right there. I put out all the content for uh, Believe in FSU there as well. And, yeah, it's Chris, my location. Awesome. Big Sean G, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Sean G and also on Sports Grid. Check me out. Nice. And coming to believe very, very soon. And Tino Rodriguez, where can we find you, brother? Yes, sir. You can find uh, follow both the account at NY Football Pod on Twitter as well as myself uh, at Tino Rodriguez. I think two underscores under there. And I actually had one more question for Sean real quick. This is draft related. Are the Chargers going to actually uh, draft a quarterback or do you believe in your boy Tyrod Taylor as a starter? Send uh, to the playoffs. I'm just curious. I, I know. I know. Not only that, he was a great leader for the Buffalo Bills. He, he broke the drought, 17 year drought, right? And yeah. he was benched for Nathan Peterman, for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, so and he held it together he there and back. he came back. Uh, he's a nice, really good dude, real professional. I think they draft the quarterback, though, six overall. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I thought they were. I don't think they go with Tyron. Great closing question. A quick story about Peterman. I rag on him on my show all the time, and one of my co-hosts for my birthday got me a Peterman shirt. That was my. Yeah. Big, that was my. That was my big twenty fifth birthday Nathan present. Peterman, man. I, I know that was a guy. He was. He became a gag gift. Guys, thank you again. I'm Joshua Fisher, one of the producers of the Believe Podcast Network. This was the AFC East Roundtable. Thank you for joining us. That AFC East Roundtable was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? All right, guys, that's our show. But one last note before I let you guys go, I'm going to work on setting up a live stream, uh, whether it's on Periscope uh, or some sort of Zoom recording for Twitter. Uh, I'll figure it out, but we're going to do a live stream ideally for the NFL draft, at least for the first round. Um, I might get some special guests on there for you guys. So uh, follow the Twitter account as always at NYFootballPod for updates on that, uh, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. Thanks for listening as always, guys. Be sure to like, download, rate, subscribe on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and the Believe Podcast Network, BLEAV.com. The week is here. The next time I talk to you guys, we will have a lot of moves to dissect from both the Giants and Jets. Uh, for all New York fans out there, I'm hoping both our teams can make smart moves that help our teams uh, in the long run and in the short term, as well as uh, neither of us want to see ourselves picking either inside the top 10 or right outside the top 10 uh, for much longer. So uh, we'll see. We will see. Uh, get your booze ready. Even if you're watching at home, uh, get your booze ready for Roger Goodell. Hope you guys can uh, distract yourselves this weekend during this pandemic with the NFL draft. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. So uh, stay safe, stay indoors, and enjoy the draft. Talk to you guys.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.